Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 13, page 615. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seeds to the sower and bread to the, to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn uh, shall come up uh, the cypress. Instead of the uh, buyer uh, shall come up the mortal, and it shall make a name of the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Our New Testament reading is Romans 8 verses 1 to 11, page 944. 오늘의 신약 말씀은 로마서 8장 1절에서 11절입니다. 그러므로 이제 그리스도 예수 안에 있는 자에게는 결코 정죄함이 없나니 이는 그리스도 예수 안에 있는 생명의 성령의 법이 죄와 사망의 법에서 너를 해방하였습니다. 율법이 육신으로 말미암아 연약하여 할수 없는 그것을 하나님은 하시나니 곧 죄로 말미암아 말미암아 자기 아들을 죄 있는 육신의 모양으로 보내어 육신의 죄를 정하사 육신을 따르지 않고 그 영을 따라 행하는 우리에게 율법의 요구가 이루어지게 하려 하십니다. 육신을 따르는 자는 육신의 일을 영을 따르는 자는 영의 일을 생각하나니 육신의 생각은 사망이요 영의 생각은 생명과 평안이니라 육신의 생각은 하나님과 원수가 되나니 이는 하나님의 법에 굴복하지 아니할 뿐 아니라 할 수도 없습니다. 육신에 있는 자들은 하나님을 기쁘게 할수 없느니라. 만일 너희 속에 하나님의 영이 거하시면 너희가 육신에 있지 아니하고 영에 있나니 누구든지 그리스도의 영이 없으면 그리스도의 사람이 아니라. 또 그리스도께서 너희 안에 계시면 몸은 죄로 말미암아 죽은 것이나 영은 의로 말미암아 살아있는 것이니라. 예수를 죽은 자 가운데서 살리신 이의 영이 너희 안에 거하시면 그리스도 예수를 죽은 자 가운데서 살리신 이가 너희 안에 거하시는 그의 영으로 말미암아 너희 죽을 몸도 살리시리라. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
your grace to us, Lord. And every day we, Lord, wake up and, Lord, we are astounded. We are astonished at how much you love us. And, Lord, the mercy and the grace that you pour upon us. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, for it is a guide for us. It is a lamp unto our feet. We pray, Lord, that your word now would teach us, would mold us, would shape us so that as your people we may live out your will. We pray, Lord, that as your people we may engage with you now as you speak to us, Lord, each individually and corporately as your body. We pray, Lord, that at this time you would protect us, keep us from distractions, Lord, that we may glorify you, that we may praise you, that we may worship you through the hearing of your word. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue and we pick up today in our sermon series in kinship. And we are talking about the blessings of being adopted as the children of God. The doctrine of adoption is exactly what it sounds like. It's that God has taken us who were We were in bondage, we were in sin, and he has saved us, and he has taken us in to be his own children. He gives us new life, he makes us fellow heirs with Christ, and he promises us an eternal glory with him. Now the doctrine of justification teaches us that we have been legally acquitted of our sentence. We are no longer guilty and our verdict has been changed and we are now innocent before the eyes of God. In terms of our hearts, we were once dead in our sins, but now through Christ, we are alive. Our identity has been changed. When once we were friends of the world, we are now friends of God. Now the doctrine of adoption teaches us that after this transformation happens in our lives, after we are justified, that God doesn't just simply leave us alone to figure out the rest. He doesn't just say, now that I've saved you, now go figure out the rest by yourself. But he takes us in to his own family and he makes us his own children. Not only does he save us, but then he adopts us. We who are unclean, we who are unworthy, undeserving, He takes us in and he gives us eternal life. He gives us an eternal inheritance as his own children. This is what we examined last week as Kenny preached to us that while we were orphaned, while we were headed for certain destruction, that God rescued us. We who were wretched like Paul, he rescued us and he took us in to be his own children. I think many of us on a day-to-day basis in our walk with Christ. We don't really think about adoption a lot because I think for a a lot of us, we don't really consider ourselves as orphans. But spiritually speaking, and in the eyes of God, that's exactly who we were before Christ. We were orphans. We were lost. We were without hope. We were always wandering around, looking and seeking for meaning in life and acceptance. But it's only by the grace of God, through the work of Christ, and by faith in Jesus, that we have been adopted into the family of God. And so we are called the people of God, but also the children of God. 
And Paul, he continues in this explanation of justification and adoption. And there's a great tension in what he talks about here in chapter 8, Romans 8, the New Testament passage that we read today. In this discourse of Paul to his readers, he's explaining that the gospel of Christ, this new covenant that has now been fulfilled and ushered in by the work of Christ, it means that God calls people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue to be his people. That the children of God are no longer a subsect of people or a certain type of people, but that the children of God, the covenant family, is now anyone who has faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And so the covenant family is no longer represented by a certain people group, the Israelites, with other people coming in right from the outside into this this elite group. But now God's family is everyone who is the spiritual descendant of Abraham. And Paul explains to us that the spiritual descendants of Abraham are, are any, are those who have faith in Jesus Christ. However, there were those, and of course particularly the Jews, that argued that the chosen people of God, the children of God, could only be the actual, the physical descendants of Abraham. They could only be the ones whom God called and gave the law to. For the Jews, keeping the Mosaic law was the only way to be saved. So then for the Gentiles, when Paul talks about the Gentiles, he talks about these people, they're heathens, they don't know the law, they don't know God's law, they have no law. So then for these Jews, the Gentiles had very little chance of being saved because they didn't have the law and they didn't keep it. And so through a series of great apologetics by the great apologist Paul, right? We read through the beginning chapters of Romans. Paul explains that the law, in fact, cannot save anyone. And he gives a great example of Abraham. And he says, was Abraham saved by the law? He says, no. Abraham was even before the law. And we read in Genesis that God calls Abraham and he credits him righteousness. He saves him not by the law, but by faith. And so for Paul, only the work of Jesus can take away our sin and salvation can only come through faith in Jesus. Now Paul, he reiterates this in the beginning of chapter 8, the passage we read uh, in Korean, so, but you guys probably read it in, in English. He says that because we have entered into this union with Christ, so he uses these words, union with Christ, united with Christ, we are now in Christ. He says that because we are now one with Christ through faith, that we are no longer condemned. We are no longer seen as guilty in the eyes of God. He says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And later in verse 3 and 4, he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The condemnation, the punishment, the penalty for sin, Paul says, it is no longer upon those 
who have faith in Jesus Christ. So the condemnation should fall on us, we who are sinful, we who fall short of the glory of God. But Paul says in verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where is the condemnation now? He says the condemnation fell upon Jesus Christ. In the flesh, on the cross, when he took our sin, God condemned sin through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 10, he says, and Christ did this once and for all. Once and for all. The result is that the righteous requirement of the law, it was fulfilled in the cross. We who, through merit, through whatever our works, our deeds could not do it, it was fulfilled in Christ through the cross. And so, because of Jesus Christ and Paul, he, he says that we who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So now, we have been given that merit through Jesus. We have been imputed righteousness through Jesus. And we receive all of these things when we believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. And we are united with, with him. Now Paul is saying that those who are children of God are no longer condemned ever. Ever. This means that you can't come out of condemn condemnation and say, oh, you know, I'm a great Christian right now, and so God doesn't condemn me. But then later on, you sin again, and then you go back into condemnation, and God is condemning you again. There's no going in and out and in and out of condemnation. Paul says, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation ever. You cannot be saved and acquitted but then later on when you sin, become under condemnation again. Again, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, and Christ, he did this once and for all. Christ doesn't die again for our sins. Christ doesn't acquit our sins again. We are not under condemnation again once we are in Christ. He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have, we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. And so now, Paul says, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. We have been set free once and for all. Again, in chapter 6, Paul says that through our union in Christ, we have died with Christ. We have been buried with Christ so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Once you're set free, you are free indeed. You don't become a slave again. He says, we died, we're buried with Christ, and so we are no longer slaves to sin. Again, in chapter 7, Paul says that we have died with Christ so that the law has no longer any hold on us. He says we have been released, we have been set free from the law. And then he gives an example of the legal union of marriage. He says, when a wife and a husband are married, if the wife goes and remarries, then it's adultery. And legally, she is committing something that is wrong. Yet if the husband dies, Paul says, then she is released from her legal bound to her husband. And if she remarries, then she is not breaking anything, any legal contract, anything like that. So too, he says, we have been released from the captivity of the law. Why? Because we have died we have died with Christ. We have been released from the law. 
and its legal requirements. And so now we don't belong to sin. We don't belong to the law. We belong to Jesus. We belong to God through Jesus. Again, in today's passage, in verses 2 and 3, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. Paul here is not necessarily talking about two different things when he talks about the law of sin and then he talks about the law and death. He is speaking of the same thing. He's saying that when we died with Christ, when our faith is in Christ, when we are now in union with Christ, that sin and the law no longer has a stronghold on us. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer under the law. What he's doing here, Paul, is he is beautifully and brilliantly explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Jewish leaders, to these people who hold on to the law, who say, this is the only way that you can get into heaven. Paul, he's explaining the gospel of grace in Christ. This grace of God, he's, he's saying, is far superior than the law to save us. Paul explains previously in chapter 7 that the law in and of itself is not bad. I think many times when we hear the law, we automatically have a negative reaction. The Bible paints the law kind of negatively, especially when we read in the Gospels, right? Jesus is always rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and their legalism and their, you know, need to keep the law. Even in today's world, you know, when we uh, think about lawyers, what automatically comes to your mind? I don't think I have to say it. You know, we hear jokes like, how can you tell when a lawyer is lying? His lips are moving, yeah. Especially in America, right? In the land of the free and home of the, I'll do whatever I want and you can't tell me otherwise. Right? We say the police are bad and we say that the lawmakers are corrupt and greedy. And so when we think about the law, we think, oh, bad. Law is bad. We don't like the law. We don't want to be bound by the law. But Paul explains that the law, right, God's law and God's commandments in and of themselves are actually good and holy and righteous. The law is good, but it cannot save us because of sin. Sin, Paul explains here, the law was weakened by the flesh. What he's saying is that sin, because it is in us, it corrupts us and it makes everything in us bad so that we cannot keep the law. In Galatians 3, Paul says that the law was just like a guardian to us. It wasn't meant to save us because it could never save us because the root issue was not the law. The root issue was what was in us, and that was sin. And so because of sin, we could never keep the law, and the law could never save us from our sins. In fact, the law being holy and righteous, but because of our sins, made things worse for us. Sin makes it so that whether we are religious or irreligious, whether we are trying to attain to that, you know, keeping every law and, and doing everything perfectly, 
or whether we're irreligious. Oh, I don't care about the law. You know, the law is dumb anyway. We, nobody can keep it anyway. Whether we are too religious, legalistic, or we're irreligious, because of our sin, it makes it so that we can never, ever be saved through the law. And Paul says in Romans 3 that whether you're a Jew and you're legalistic and you have the law, or whether you're a Gentile and you have no law, he says, all fall short of the glory of God. In the gospel in life, Tim Keller, he explains it this way. The gospel is neither religion or irreligion. It is something else altogether. Religion makes law and moral obedience a means of salvation, while irreligion makes the individual a law to him or herself. The gospel, however, is that Jesus takes the law of God so seriously that he paid, he paid the penalty of disobedience so we can be saved by sheer grace. Paul is saying that the gospel is so much better than any law, than any legalism, than any religion because the gospel does what the law cannot. The gospel of grace takes away our sin so that we are now able to walk according to the Spirit. The gospel of grace enables us to live according to the Spirit. Now, we're able to please God, Paul says, only when we live in the Spirit because of the gospel, not because of any law. See, the law corrupts us. And it compels us only through guilt and shame. But the Spirit, it compels us not through guilting us and shaming us to follow these rules, but the gospel compels us by love and by grace. We no longer obey God to gain merit or to, to show him how good we are, but instead, because we have been set free from sin and we have been set free from the law, we can now obey God freely out of love and because of his grace. Now, this only happens through Jesus Christ, when we are in union with Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great theologian, he gives an example of our state, of our union with Christ, uh, and then what it means to be uh, before we're saved and after we're saved. Uh, the difference between sinning as an unbeliever and then as a believer. So he explains it this way. He says it's like breaking a traffic law versus doing something that hurts your spouse. In the former instance, the transgression is a legal one. But in the latter instance, the issue is a matter of personal relationship and love. It doesn't have to do with a legality. Technically, even if you do something wrong against your spouse, you're still their spouse. Now, the man or the woman doesn't cease to be a husband or a wife. And he says this. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against a law of the land objectively outside of me than hurt someone whom I love. 
You have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. You may and you should feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemnation because to do so is to put yourself back under the law. So, being adopted as children of God means that there is no longer any condemnation for us because we are no longer under sin. We are no longer under the captivity of the law or its requirements. We are now legally justified before God and we are now set free from the law of sin and death because we are now in union with Christ. This is imperative. It is so important for us to understand as Christians that when we are in Christ and when we are under the law of the Spirit, that we can no longer be condemned no matter what we do. If we do not understand this, if we don't understand the implications of this justification and this adoption, then it leads to us, even though we're saved, even though we go to church every week, even though we do all these Christian things, it leads to us always wanting to prove ourselves before God, always being defensive, always lacking joy in our relationship with God. Why? Because it's, it's not a, a one of freedom, but it's one of always trying to please God. We have lack of joy in our worship, lack of thanksgiving. We have less motivation to live a holy life. We have less motivation to obey God because we're obeying him out of fear and duty rather than out of love. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, when we read these verses initially, I think a lot of us interpret them uh, like we do in Galatians and Colossians, where Paul says, don't live in the flesh. And then he says, uh, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, you know, greed, lust, all these things. And in Colossians, he says the same thing. He says, yeah, don't live in the flesh. Put to death what is earthly in you. And then he lists on sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, and all these things. And I think when we look at Romans chapter 8 and we read Paul saying, don't live in the flesh, you live in the spirit, we think, okay, we shouldn't live, you know, we, we shouldn't sin, we, you know, sexual immorality, impurity, all these things, we shouldn't do these things. But if you look at the context, Paul is not actually talking about these, these sinful works of the flesh. Because in Galatians and in Colossians, he says, don't live by the flesh, don't live and he's talking about the, bo the physical body, and then he lists out these sinful you know, things of the body. But here in Romans 8, he doesn't say, now don't live in the flesh, don't live in the body, and then he lists out all these things. No, he says, don't live in the flesh, live in the spirit. So what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about our understanding of our salvation. He's saying when you live in the flesh, when you live in the mortal understanding 
of your salvation, like the Jews did, then you will always be hostile towards God. Then you will live in death instead of life. Then you will always be trying to obey the law, but you'll never obey it. And you will never be able to please God. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, don't live in that way. Instead, live in the Spirit. What, is, what does it mean? He's saying, with the understanding that you are now in Christ and there's no more condemnation. You are not under sin and the law anymore. You are set free. He says, live in that mindset. He, he says, live with the mind on the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And he says, if you do so, then you will be able to submit to God's law then you will be able to live with life and peace. Then you will be able to obey God. Then you will be able to please God. So then, in context, for us today, it means that we don't live beating ourselves up every day. Oh, I didn't read my Bible. Oh, I didn't pray today. Oh, I was mean to this person. Oh, I fought with my, my spouse or I did this or I was bad to my children or I was a bad coworker. All these things. Oh, God, please forgive me. I know, I know I'm not supposed to do these things and you must really hate me right now. You must not love me anymore. I, I got to go to church this Sunday and I got to do confession. Paul's saying, don't live like that. Don't live under condemnation because you're no longer under condemnation. Instead, instead, right? And this is the dilemma that we have so much as Christians is the already and the not yet. We have a, a, we have a, we have a problem. We have trouble understanding the already and the not yet. Maybe, maybe intellectually we understand the already and the not yet, but in, practically in our lives, the already and the, the not yet is so hard for us to practice. The, what does that mean? It means when Paul says you're already not condemned, you're already saved, you're already a child of God, you already have eternal inheritance, you're already, you're already saved forever. That is the already. The not yet part is, but you're also still living in this broken world. You are still living in a broken body with, with a broken flesh. You still sin. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to put that together because we think, well, if I still sin, then that must automatically mean that I'm still not saved. And Paul says, no, no, stop living under condemnation. He says, when Jesus died and resurrected, he says, he took that away from you. So then in verse five and six, he says, set your mind on the spirit the things of the Spirit. We see that Paul is explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying it is far better and more powerful of living out your life before God than the Jewish understanding of the law. The gospel doesn't take out the law, but it offers to us a better solution in keeping the law. I'm going to say that one more time. The gospel, because I hear this sometimes, oh, oh we're, we're not living in the New Old Testament anymore and the law doesn't matter. No, the gospel doesn't take out the law. It enables us through the Spirit to keep the law of God, to follow His commands, to live according to His ways. In the gospel, Christ 
has fulfilled the law and taken away sin while giving us his spirit. He gives us a new life so that we can keep the law through his power. And so now we are able to obey God's commands through the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater and a better motivation that is not duty or obligation or shame or fear, but it is love, love for God. And so Paul says here that those who are in Christ will walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. This we must be reminded of. This gospel, this doctrine of adoption, this we must be reminded of every single day. When our understanding of salvation does not include this beautiful doctrine of adoption, we will always be looking to other people and to other things for our security, for our safety. We'll say things like, oh man, how can I still be worthy? Or man, God must not love me anymore. Paul says in Romans 7 that if you live in the flesh, right, that's how you think. But he says, for those who live in the spirit, we are now dead to all of those things. And so in verses 10 and 11, he says, but if Christ is in you, if you are one with Christ, although the body is dead because of sin. So he's acknowledging, yeah, you will keep sinning. Your body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul says, yes, your body is dead. But if you are one with Christ, if you are in Christ, then the spirit of God, the same spirit who raised Jesus Christ, lives in you and he will give life to your dead bodies. So our lives aren't useless on this earth. We don't just need to lie around and say, woe is me, woe is me, and wait for Jesus to come. Because of Christ, we have been set free from the law so that now in our new lives, we are able to live out every day for Jesus, for God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us now, now dwells in you and we are able to do the good works that God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We no longer hide in shame or guilt. We understand that our bodies are still sinful. And so instead of running away from God, we rely on the Spirit of God to produce good in us. When we fall into sin, we don't cower away from God. But we are reminded of the words of Paul in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so rather than running away from him, we run to him because he is our father. And he is gracious to forgive us. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes, 
If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they don't really understand Christianity very well at all. Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. So, let us live not like we are condemned, but let us live out each day of our lives as ones who have been adopted into the family of God and are children of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, you remind us that we are your children. You remind us that you have done all the work for us. And so, Lord, help us to stop trying to do it ourselves. Help us to stop trying to make things up to you trying to build our own merit, our own righteousness. And on the flip side, help us to stop beating ourselves up every day. Lord, we know that you hate sin. And Lord, when your spirit dwells in us, Lord, you conform us so that we also grow to hate what you hate and love what you love. But in that process of sanctification, help us not to beat ourselves up. But remember that, Lord, because we are in Christ Jesus, your son, there is no more condemnation. And so, Lord, help us through your spirit to live out every single day as ones who are no longer condemned, but ones who are now living by your spirit as your children. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.